Welcome to Code Talk, the podcast where we discuss building code and its impact on residents and business owners right here in Fairfax County. You know, a designer may encounter instances where the code does not exactly fit their design or they may disagree with the authority having jurisdiction. One of the ways that may help a designer find clarity and bring resolution to their code-related issues is through what's called a code modification. Now, to explain to us code modifications, we have Richard Grace and Dan Wilhelm with the Building Code Research and Development Branch of Land Development Services. Gentlemen, first of all, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Look forward to discussing code modifications and what exactly that means. So, I I think the the most simple question to ask is, what are we talking about when we say code modifications? What do we mean? Well, Jim, this is Richard. Um, There are times during the design phase of a project when certain building code requirements make it difficult to move forward with specific design elements that don't exactly meet the conditions outlined in the code. An example of this would include, uh, say, the drain discharge from a sacristy sink into a dry well system rather than connecting directly to the sanitary system. Uh, The plumbing code requires the connection to be to the sanitary system. However, there are religious practices that may not permit this. Hmm. In this example, the request will be to connect to a dry well system rather than into the sanitary system. Okay, okay. Uh, A code modification is not a waiver to a code requirement, but rather a proposed solution to a specific requirement that doesn't completely follow the written language found in the current code. Okay. You got anything to add, Dan? So to kind of expand on what Richard said, a code modification, it kind of addresses, you know, areas of the code that can be somewhat gray or more subject to interpretation. Okay. So, you know, the code, the code is actually has, has a difficult job to do. It's, it's a trade-off between um, being specific enough to be enforced mm, mm-hmm. with not being 12 feet thick. Right. <laughs> and so okay. rigid, you know. That so you... It, by its nature, it can't address every single right. possible scenario right. that, you know, a designer or an architect or engineer can dream up. So code modifications were kind of built into the code to allow, you know, some type of variability mm-hmm. So that the intent of the code is met, right, right, and you right. know it still kind of meets the life safety requirements and health and welfare, right. and protects the public. Right. Um, so, so the idea behind the intent of the code is maintained. It's just done in a different way that the code doesn't specifically permit you to do without right. getting specific approval. Right. I'm assuming here that as years have gone on, more code is written and developed that um, you're see- I was going to say you're seeing less code modifications, but then I, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, well, maybe there's more code modifications. Is there more or less as code has become more refined and, and, and more written over the years? Well, I think it's, it's less of an issue of how, how often the code gets changed. It's, mm, it's more of how much yeah. development is going on in your jurisdiction and the complexity of the development that's going on. So the more complicated buildings that you have in your jurisdiction, the more likely it is you'll have code modifications uh, that need to be addressed because the more complex buildings usually run into those grayer areas because they're trying to fit, you know, you know, different complex pieces of a building together in one project Mm. that, you know, may not necessarily be addressed by the code. Gotcha. Whereas in other jurisdictions where they have less of a 
less development or they're maybe they're more rural, um, they kind of run into more standard code applications and they have less of a need to approve modifications. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Jim, you bring up a good point as well. Uh, because the code changes often, it changes every three years, mm -hmm. um, we have the ability to look at future codes and, and see what is in those future codes right. and uh, base decisions on those future codes as well. Someone may be looking at a future code that has a requirement that isn't addressed in the current code. That's a good point. So yeah. a modification could actually be to look at that future code requirement and apply that, that requirement in the current design. Kind of backdated, if you will, yep. or back, whatever. <laughs> right, so to kind, of, to kind of outline that, right now, Virginia, the current code in Virginia are the 2015 codes. Mm -hmm. The 2018 codes have been published for a couple of years now, and the 2021 codes are currently being developed, and about half of those have already been approved, the code changes for those, because it takes two years to go through all the right, changes, because right. there's so many codes out there, so it takes two years to do them. So they've already done the first year, they did the Group A codes in 2018, and then the Group B uh, model codes are being heard right now. Mm -hmm. So those are still in process. So we can look at the 2018 code for possible code modifications. If they've revised something that addressed a problem in the 2018 code that would help somebody submitting under the 2015, we can consider that. Hmm. Uh, the only caveat is that uh, we have to look at whether or not the state of Virginia has amended that code section. Hmm. Uh, because wow. if they have specific amendments, it may not matter what direction uh, the, mo the ICC or the international codes are taking if Virginia has a specific change mm -hmm you know, for our area, okay. um, it may negate, you know, using the right. future codes for that. Uh, kind of a lot to keep up here, and I want to put a, a kind of a time stamp on this. If folks are listening to this in the archives of the podcast, this is April 2019. So you threw out a lot of dates there. I think 2018 codes, 2021 codes, I think you even mentioned 2015. So just kind of putting some, some reference here on it. That this is uh, April of 2019 when we're kind of doing this live, if you will. So if folks are listening in the archive, they'll, they'll have some time, kind of time reference. Um, is there a specific kind of process that, that someone needs to go through if, they, if they're knowing that they need to get a code modification? Are there certain steps? And there's just a phone call? I mean, what's the, what's the process like? Well, first, we have a web page online that they can look to for guidance. And if they go to fairfaxcounty.gov and search for building code modification or building code appeals or interpretations, they can they can find that page. And on that page, it, it will outline the, the steps and have links to the submission form so they can request a building code modification. Okay. There's a single page form that they need to fill out that has the project information on it, the uh, applicant's information, and uh, two sections. The first one describes what the code issue they're trying to address that they're having difficulty complying with. And then the second section is their modification or their alternate proposal to address the intent of the code. Okay. So, so the first section is, is you know what they can't do and kind of why. And the second section has what they're doing instead. Okay. And th that they think is equivalent. Right. And it has to be equivalent to... So, so the form is online. Does it have to be completed online? Can someone come into the office and, and fill out the forms? You can fill it out by hand or in person or okay. whatever. Okay. Uh, 
it greatly greatly speeds up our review gotcha. if we have everything right. electronically right. because just just the way we review things we send out you know the information by email right so eventually it all has to make it into electronic form mm-hmm. and if that's done for us and that and that that usually helps with file size too because sure. usually the applicant um, can generate their information in a smaller file size than mm-hmm. if we scan it in. Oh, gotcha. um, and then we're emailing, you know, right, several files. megabytes of yeah, files yeah. to multiple people all over the place. Uh, yeah. That can sometimes run into problems, especially with uh, CAD drawings or architectural drawings. If there's a lot of sheets, oh, yeah. uh, the file sizes can get quite big, especially if we scan them in. Um, I know no two cases are, are, are the same. I know two processes are um, the same. But is there a, a ballpark uh, timeline uh, that it's going to take once someone goes online and completes this one-page form that you mentioned? Um, hours, days, weeks? I mean, what are we talking here to kind of get the, the notification of a decision for a code modification? Well, actually, I think you uh, – if, if we explain the process, it, it might also explain uh, the, the timeline associated okay. with okay. it. Um, and once we receive a request um, – uh, either Dan or myself will review it to make sure that it actually qualifies for a code modification. Okay. Uh, and we look for things like, uh, are we are we looking for a, 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 an alternate solution? Are we proposing an alternate solution? Are we meeting the spirit and intention of the code? Um, are, we, uh, are we simply asking for a waiver to a code? Okay. Um, one of the things that we, we can't do, according to Virginia law, is waive code requirements. Uh, we have the authority to modify code requirements, but not to waive them. So Dan and I look through that process first mm-hmm. to make sure that we're dealing with a, uh, a, a, um, a code modification that meets all the requirements. Um, processing consists of creating a permanent file. So we'll create a permanent file uh, for each one of the code mods. Okay. And then we'll also create a fee transmittal form. Uh, there is a $208 fee associated with each code modification request. That fee would have to be paid prior to sending this information onto our code advisory committee for review. Oh, okay. Um, and that's for each modification, you said? That's for each modification. Okay. All right. I want to make sure that was clear. Um, once we get that taken care of, we send that, uh, that, that fee transmittal form out to the applicant. Uh, we start entering information into our database that um, we use for tracking and for um, uh, re- uh, reporting purposes. Um, then we forward the information onto an appropriate code advisory committee for review for their recommendation to either the building official or the fire official. Um, and then it's ultimately up to the building or fire official to make a decision on that. Mm-hmm. Care to add more? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so the committee can be different for each modification because it's, it's oh, an ad hoc okay. committee. Oh, okay. Uh, it depends on what the request is. So we look for individuals that uh, we think are experts in the area of the request. So it may only go to a building reviewer and a fire mm-hmm. reviewer. Okay. It may also include mechanical or electrical. It just depends on what the request is. Right. It could it could include other people, even people from industry. You know, if we know someone or have the need right. to reach out to a manufacturer or something like that. Getting the subject matter experts to actually review the subject in front of them. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
And, and you, you call this a committee, a uh, code advisory committee, and the first thing that comes in my mind is, well, committees have set meeting days and times and that kind of thing. Is, is that the case with these code modifications requests, or is they just coming in and the, the term committee is just kind of a loose loose and <laughs> loose name, if you will? Yeah, it's more of an informal process. Uh, we may meet if the issue is complex enough. Okay. It just depends on if we can get consensus within a reasonable time frame mm-hmm. without meeting, we may not need to meet. Okay. If right. the issue warrants, then we'll have a meeting and sit down. And sometimes we even bring the applicant in and meet with them to discuss things. Uh, because if, if, their, if their request appears that it could be approvable, but they just haven't submitted enough information or the right information, or maybe they could tweak mm-hmm. their request a little bit to get approval, we will try to work with them on that to reach approval because our ultimate goal is to help them build their project. Right. And so we want to facilitate that instead of just rejecting them and saying, no, your applicant, right. your application doesn't meet the intent. Right. We, 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 we come back to them and ask them questions to clarify things. And what about, would you consider doing this? You know, this may be approvable if you did X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, would you consider that? And that may be bring them in for a meeting to, and they may, you know, establish a dialogue back and forth to where, well, we can't do all that, but instead of C, maybe we can do mm-hmm. D. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, they're already seeking an alternate solution, I think, Richard, as you mentioned it. So you're going that further step, trying to help them <laughs> figure out a way to find that alternate solution throughout this whole process. Correct. Right, right, right. Our goal is to say yes in yeah, the end. Yeah. And we want to help them get there. Wonderful goal to have. <laughs> Absolutely. But there are times, I'm sure, when it has to be no. Can those decisions be appealed? If the the code modification comes back and the petitioner's uh, uh, not favor, if it comes back as a no, what what do they do then? Oh, absolutely, they can appeal it. Okay. Uh, the the administrative section in every one of our codes, <coughs> excuse me, has language that addresses appeals. Uh, if if we look at what the building code states in the administration portion, <coughs> excuse me. It states that any person agreed by the, aggrieved <clears throat> by the local building department's application of the USBC, the Uniform Statewide Building Code, or the refusal to grant a code modification to the provisions of the USBC may appeal to the local Board of um, Building Code Appeals. Okay. So they have the ability to uh, disagree with the um, decision of uh-huh. the building or fire official. Uh, and they can, they, uh, once again, go back onto that same website that we mentioned earlier. Okay. Uh, that, webs- that web page itself has information on code modifications, on code interpretations, and on appeals. Uh, and the appeals process is spelled out on that web page as well, uh, along with a form that's filled out along with a $208 fee. For each modification. For each appeal. <laughs> okay, okay. For each modification and for each appeal. That's correct. Of each modification. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on how many they have, it could be somewhat expensive. It but could be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So they can appeal and kind of walk us through the process. I'm going to take a step back and then talk about asking for a code modification. Can Can anybody ask? Does it has to be? Does it have to be the homeowner? Does it have to be the designer? Does it have to be the builder? I mean, who who can actually make a code modification request? Well, I will point out that the language says 
any person aggrieved by the local building uh, department's application or decision. So pretty much anybody can appeal a okay. decision and right. anybody can ask for a code modification. Okay. Um, that could be a homeowner, that could be a designer, uh, that could be a contractor. We received them from many different uh, levels of, right. uh, of the construction okay. business. Okay, sounds good. Um, before we go, I think both of you talked about, you know, when, you know, we're doing this, you know, Richard, you said when Dan and I are doing this, when we're reviewing, uh, kind of give us a little feel for what it is y'all are doing. What's, what's your jobs? Kind of what are you guys doing on a day-to-day basis? And I think you're in the building code research and development branch of land development services. So kind of talk to us a little bit about that and we'll kind of wrap up with that. That's right. Well, I'm Dan Wilhelm. I'm the Fairfax County Deputy Building Official. I also function as the acting building official when Brian Foley, our building official, <coughs> is out of the office. Uh, you know, as we've discussed, you know, we evaluate you know, code modification requests for compliance with the building code, provide technical assistance to staff concerning code interpretations. Uh, I manage the building code research and development program, which includes developing changes to the building code at both the state and the national levels. I serve on the ICC Means of Egress Committee, and I also serve on several code review committees for the Virginia Building Code Officials Association. And in addition to that, I'm responsible for updating several county standard details like the deck details, the mm. finished basement details, carport enclosures, retaining walls, wall bracing, those kind of details that we provide guidance to our customers mm. on to help them, you know, through, you know, right. more complex processes. And so I'm responsible for updating those, you know, every few years they change or we may have new manufacturers information in there that we need to update. Mm-hmm. And we also um, work with uh, the Department in Homelessness to uh, facilitate homeless shelters mm, during fun. the colder season. Mm-hmm. And so we go in and we survey, you know, buildings such as churches uh, or, or, or other types of buildings of worship, yeah. that yeah, that could um, uh, host a homeless shelter. Okay, okay. And we, we give them criteria on what they need to comply with for the building code to, for a temporary use so they can oh, shelter people, yeah. you know, when it's too cold outside. Okay. Because they have to add things like smoke detectors and and maybe possibly panic hardware or some other right. things uh, to to make it safe for people to sleep in because the buildings weren't originally designed to right. sleep in so right. now they're now that. they're being used just during the day and now you want to put people that are you know asleep mm-hmm. in those spaces and those require special life safety measures to be taken for those type of uh, buildings right. that right. probably were not designed. Gotcha. You know, Gotcha. Richard, can you top that? <laughs> well, uh, Dan is, is, is actually specified he's on the building side. I'm on the trade side. I'm a code specialist in the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and fuel gas disciplines. Uh, I like to think I'm a sounding board for plan reviewers, inspectors, contractors, homeowners, other code officials to bounce thoughts off mm. of in mm. order to uh, better understand what the intent of different code requirements are. Mm. Um, I'm tasked with the responsibility of facilitating the code modification process with the trades, mm. as Dan's on the uh, the building side and the fire side. Gotcha. Uh, I'm also the chairman of the Plumbing Mechanical Fuel Gas Code Development Committee. That's a mouthful. 
I'm not done yet either. <laughs> okay, uh, sorry. For, for the Virginia Plumbing and Mechanical Inspectors Association wow. and the Virginia Building Code Officials Association. You need like three business cards for that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm tasked to participate in the code development process on the state levels and on the national wow. levels. Wow. Um, finally, I, I act as the uh, liaison for and between the local Board of Building Code Appeals and the county uh, code officials. Wow. So, folks, you can see why we had him on the podcast today. Wealth of knowledge. So we, we thank you for that, for explaining code modifications and uh, probably should have led with that. So we <laughs> could, have, could have established your credentials beforehand. But definitely folks that are, are in the know. Uh, again, I think both of you mentioned the website, fairfaxcounty.gov. You can search for building code modifications. Any of that kind of stuff yes. would come up. Is there a telephone number that uh, is uh, available that folks call for more information or well, office number, that type of thing? We can be reached uh, anytime, Dan or myself, uh, if they've got questions, um, call up the county, ask for Dan or Rick. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks so much. Again, fairfaxcounty.gov, search code modifications, uh, building code modifications, any of those kind of keywords, and it'll take you right to uh, the pages where you can find out more information about code modifications, also the uh, the, the one-page form that you need to fill out to kind of start the, the process to apply for a code modification. Again, if you want to find out more information about land development services, that's fairfaxcounty.gov slash land development. And if you want to reach the building division, you can uh, either call or email 703-631-5101 is the telephone number. The email address is ldsbdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov. That's ldsbdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov. Again, thanks to Richard and Dan for being with us on the podcast. Thanks to you for listening to Code Talk, which is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.